0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm Amber Barrett, and during the next several weeks, Vanessa Hawkins and I, along with various members of our Bible study teaching team, will be talking together about God's Word, specifically the book of Ecclesiastes, and the unique ways it enlightens our lives. Joining Vanessa and me again today are Margie Betts and Megan Pierce. So first things first, ladies, just tell us for fun about the first concert you attended and who you went with. My first
1: concert was Neil Diamond, and I loved him. And so we went to see him at Keele Auditorium in St. Louis. I was with a boyfriend, and I can remember walking away wishing my name was Caroline. <laughs> Sweet Caroline.
0: I love it, Margie. Mm-hmm. But you stayed Margie. You didn't change it. I
1: did.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Mine is less exciting, Margie. Uh, But why is that not surprising? Margie is always so exciting. (laughs) Um, Ours, mine was that our family every Sunday or, you know, a lot of Sundays, we would go after worship to what was called the Dumas Singing Center. And it was really this old converted church, really small white church. And a lot of the groups in town, a lot of them were families of singers, would just get together and sing. And it was like quartet style gospel music. And that so our, cool. our family did that a lot. So I don't remember when the first one was because we did them all the time. It was just kind of the fabric of our, um, our lives at that point. But yeah. Did y'all sing in them or did you just listen? Oh, honey, we were so not the singers. So <laughs> we were attending. <laughs> did we you dance? Attending. I bet you danced. No,
1: it was no? a dancing
2: kind of thing. But yeah, but it was quartet singing. Mm. At the Dumas Singing Center. There you Where go. Where was that? Dumas, Arkansas. Ah. Southeast Arkansas. All right. Well, I
3: do not have a very exciting first concert story, um, but the very first concert that I ever attended was a Reba McIntyre <laughs> concert, which is so funny because thinking now about the kind of music I enjoy, that is not at the top of the list. Um, so, anyway, I was young, I went with my parents and it was at the Augusta Civic Center, which is now the James Brown Arena. Um, but I'm pretty sure that me and my curly permed hair, um, went to go see Reba McIntyre. Um, pretty sure I had on a t-shirt that had her face on it. Um, so yeah, that was that was my first experience at
0: a at a concert. That was with the double perm that you the talked about perm. last week. The right? piggyback, the perm, the piggyback perm. that I talked about
3: last week, for sure. The question is, do you
0: still have the T-shirt? Oh no, no,
3: no, no, no. No.
0: Reep has gone out. Well, my first concert I saw was at DC Talk, which is a Christian rap and rock band, and they were performing in a large church near my hometown. I went with my youth group. And even though I was in a church listening to a Christian band, I did still feel slightly edgy, jumping up and down and banging my head to the song, (laughs) Jesus Freak. (sighs) Yes, it didn't take much for a small town Indiana girl to feel like she was living on the edge.
3: Uh, oh, we want to see that angle.
0: <laughs> I can head
2: back. to need a demonstration. I can't. ask my children. No social media back then, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: no, no, no social media. But uh, times change, don't they, right? Social media changes, concerts change. What was fun to me then sounds tortuous now. Yes. I don't want to yes. go to a rock band and bang my head. Mm-hmm. Seasons of life, they come and go, and they bring with them all sorts of change and challenges. In our passage from Ecclesiastes today, it's going to be the one that informs our conversation, is chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now, if you haven't read this passage, I'd encourage you just to hit the pause button and do so. But if that's not possible and you still haven't read it, maybe commit to reading it afterwards. This passage, it speaks of two overarching seasons in life. Seasons of delight and seasons of disquiet. For example, a time to be born is a delight. A time to die is disquieting. A time to laugh is a delight. A time to weep is disquieting. So today we're going to be talking about what those seasons of life look for us here, look like for us here on the table and what we are learning about living in them well. Before we get to that, I do want to just give you a little review to remember that the preacher, Solomon here in Ecclesiastes has an express intention behind the way that he's crafted his message. He's proposed to us right at the beginning that life is vanity, and he's begun to unpackage what he means by that in the first two chapters as he addresses the circular and fading nature of life, as well as the limitations of wisdom and pleasure. Now, in Ecclesiastes 3, he wants us to see the inevit- inevitability of the seasons of life, seasons of delight and discontent, seasons that we have no control over. He does this in order to give us the grace of knowing what to expect so that we can live in these seasons well by looking to God in the midst of them. Solomon says there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under heaven. We are familiar with seasons, right? Mm. We feel them. We see the changes they bring to our environment. All of us today, I think, have been excited about cooler mornings. Yes. 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 Yep. Anticipating fall, right? Yep. I want it to come now. I want it to bring out my sweaters, etc. But you know, it's September and September is so deceptive in Augusta because it starts to say fall might be here, but fall is not coming. And I can't hurry it along. If I dress according to what I want the weather to be—sweaters, cute jeans, boots, etc.—then I'm going to be miserable in the month of September. In a similar way, it, it's foolish for me to deny the seasons of life and to think that I can control them or respond to them according to my own will or pleasure. Now, the preacher here—he gives God credit. For the times of man's life, the seasons, saying that he has seen, the preacher has seen the business that God has given man to be busy with. So this directive hand of God, the fact that he's given man business to be busy with, is sometimes referred to as God's providence, which we say is his completely holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of every creature and every action. And undoubtedly, though, God's providence is not easy to understand, and it's often questioned most in seasons of disquiet. So in what ways have you experienced God's providence in seasons of disquiet? In what ways have you questioned it?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I I think I'm most prone to question God's providence in seasons when the losses have felt just really compounded. They, they felt like they were coming uh, fast and furious. And in particular, in 2010, I was in a really nasty car accident just days before I was supposed to start seminary. And uh, I was rear-ended. I was sitting still at a light rear-ended. And as a result, I suffered just lots of injury, back, neck injury, torn shoulder. And my dream of attending seminary was seemingly kind of hanging in the balance at that point. So I did end up, you know, taking one class and so wasn't able to do the full time that I had planned to do. Had all these new physical challenges and, you know, obligations for um, um, therapy, physical therapy, et cetera. And so that was happening. And within that same semester, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer which was just, um, it, it just floored me. It was such a hard time. Mm. And he would succumb to it in, in, in eight short months. Mm. And so all that led up to that uh, was just super difficult. My, he was, you know, my hero. He's my hero dad. He was a uh, big, tough guy. And to watch, you know, to watch him become emaciated with lung cancer was just horrible, horribly hard. So there were just, and then there were changes happening happening on the ministry front. And of course, with all the physical challenges, I was having twos and still having to parent and care for three kids and um and was just um the losses just they seemed unending in that season. And so I think my questioning the Lord's providence in those seasons usually sounds something like, You said I'm good at doing a Lord you said you said a bruise wreath you wouldn't break. And Lord today feels awfully close. Um, and so I, I would question if, you know, all the loss that he was allowing, would I even be able to endure it? And why was he allowing it? Mm-hmm. So much of it at once. And I don't know that I would say that I understand the specific whys of any of those hard lessons, but what I can say is that I see great fruit that was born out of each of those hard places. And um, they've grown me in my likeness to him. So I can certainly say that. Um, a few weeks ago, Leslie Bogdanoff, speaking of hard stories, was, was on and she talked about this paradox of the Christian life, how joy is often commingled with sorrow. And I think that God's providence is similar to that. And that is both comforting and terrifying all at once. Yeah, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, really, he indirectly challenges us. Uh, there's no direct mention of God, but he indirectly mm-hmm. challenges us to trust God's providence by showing us how empty his pursuits were in trying to solve what we cannot know. And he shows us that the way forward in those seasons is, is not just rehearsing what we don't know. Man, that can be an endless uh, dive into the abyss of what I don't know and and, and what I can't understand. But he does challenge us, in a sense, to remain faithful to what we do know. And what we can know in those seasons is what's, what's revealed in the pages of Scripture, and that is the character of God. We can hang on that. Um, we can, his great love for us, his faithfulness, his power, his assurance. And they're all good reasons for us to trust in the pro- his providence in every season of life. And I think when we begin to trust his providence, we are more willing to look at those seasons of life for what they really are and what the Lord is working in them and not for what we just want them to be and our longing for them to end. Wishing time away, as I I say often. Mm -hmm. And but that's challenging. And we're prone to favor seasons of delight over seasons of disquiet because it just feels better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, nobody yes. wants nobody wants discomfort. Yeah. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. So tell me, do you guys tend to emphasize one season of life at the cost of the other? For instance, might you might tend to cling to delight and deny disquiet? Or maybe you wallow in disquiet and refuse to acknowledge delight. How does that look for you?
3: Yes, I just like what you were saying, Vanessa, that we um, are prone to favor those seasons of delight. I would definitely say that I emphasize the seasons of delight over disquiet. Um, and I think that's because the seasons of disquiet reveal some of the fears that I have. And that is that I perceive those seasons to be really uncomfortable. And I don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think the thing about seasons of delight and just kind of wanting to hang on to those is that experience in life has taught me that those seasons fade. And I have found myself in seasons that maybe I feel like are really great and kind of found myself thinking, I don't want this to end. You know, I think in parenting, we find ourselves in those seasons. Sometimes we are told often, you know, don't blink. This will be over. Mm. These are some of the best times. And I think sometimes that causes us to think that the season ahead may not have the same good stuff that Mm. we are experiencing right now. Um, Zach Eswine in his book, Recovering Eden, said something that just really resonated with me. He said, our worst days and our best days fade. Um, And he talks about how our celebrations and our tragedies disappear. And he says that we may be comforted knowing that losses won't last. But then he said this, and this just really stood out to me. He said, but it aches to embrace a waning joy. And I think that just puts Mm. something to words that I really feel. And that's that I am so happy for my losses not to last, but I don't want my joys to wane. I want to hang on to them. And so I think just, goodness, studying this chapter and sort of sitting with it this week has just been a really, really good reminder for me of God's presence and purpose in both Um, and even in those seasons of disquiet that I am so quick to want to avoid or push through, that there is just a good purpose in it for me.
2: Mm, That's so good. What about you, Margie?
1: Well, you know, growing up was really hard um, in our house because there were seven of us in a one-bedroom flat, and the father was an alcoholic. So my mother was a A really brilliant woman and uh, but she had the best humor of anyone that I know other than my sister Jackie and so she sort of used humor to get us through really tough situations and um, would make us laugh or would do something silly herself that would take us out of that moment and put us in a happier frame of mind and you know some of that is really good. But some of it's not. And I grew up really trying to put humor where there was really sorrow mm. and had to learn that the hard way. And, um, you know, actually a counselor was the one who helped me to see that, that my humor is also an asset, but it can also be something that avoids me dealing with um, things in life that I don't want to deal with. You know, I also tend to be busy I make myself busy because life is getting hard. I'll run the vacuum or try to vacuum my emotions or something. So I have learned the hard way that uh, even the tough ones, I try to make light. And that's not always good.
0: I've, I've sort of found when I was thinking about this that it, I would think that I would hold on to seasons of um, a blessing because that's you know what we tend to hold on to. Um, but... I have found that sometimes maybe I sit in the seasons of disquiet because, uh, like what you said resonated with me, I don't want the good thing to go away or I don't want to be um, blindsided by the bad stuff in life. So if I can prepare myself for the bad stuff, if I can think about the bad stuff, if I can sort of keep myself grounded and not get too high or whatever, then nobody's really going to pop my balloon. And so sometimes I think I stay in the... Disquire in the negative as a sense of control Like I'm going to control this thing and be prepared for it And I think too, it, it comes out in lack of praise I don't find myself praising the Lord or being grateful And I I wouldn't have known this necessarily Or had a conscious thought about this But I, I do think that sometimes that's me putting up my hand to the Lord And I'm upset maybe about something And so I'm going to wallow in this place of being upset Because then sort of, I have a right to put up my hand to you, but if I start to praise you and if I start to acknowledge all the goodness, then I become vulnerable to you again. So I found that sometimes I I wallow in the seasons of disquiet. So we we have seasons, um, both of disquiet and delight and we're acknowledging that we see both. Do you have a particular area in your life? Maybe it's motherhood or marriage or friendships or work inside or outside of the home where you've experienced seasons of both these things in the same area and it's taught you how to live with them in conjunction with one another.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a really good question, Amber. And, um, I, thinking through it, it was really provoking to me because I think it's where I am right now. Um, I am learning that through the Lord's eyes, there is a beauty in many things, even the disquieting ones. And the hard part, though, is learning through his eyes versus seeing it through mine. And I believe his beauty is always going to be about a relationship and that he uses life events to shape that beauty um, into them. So an example would be, uh, you know, after we lost or after I lost my husband, Doug, It was a huge sadness for both Sean and myself. But then two years later, I married Jean, which was a huge joy for me, but very disquieting for Sean. Um, And that broke my heart for him. But God has worked through both of our hearts to see his sovereignty. I mean, he did have to come here. He met the woman of his life, and he's married to her now. but, But it can still be a struggle between Sean and me. And what I have recently seen is that God has revealed my heart where I sin by loving Sean too much and making him too responsible for my happiness. He is my only child and we are very close. And so, of course, I want to change Sean to be what I want versus allowing God to work out what he wants in both of us through his word and his spirit. And when I can go to the Lord with those mistakes or my confused emotions and seek his counsel, wisdom, it changes me and makes our relationship better and more beautiful. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. But anyway, um, on another side of it, Gene has been a man who has seen me um, and my beauty that I've never seen before. And it isn't necessarily the outward beauty, although he sees that in his eyes too. <laughs> God help him. He is going, he is going blind. Um, <laughs> um, but it's more mm-hmm. of who I am that I think he loves. And, you know, honestly... Uh, And this is hard for me. I can get very weepy over his love for me because I can have anger toward him for not being what I want him to be or what Sean wanted in a stepfather. And, And only God can help me know his beauty in this, and especially now that Gene is failing in some ways. I know he's working on my heart. It's not who I want to be, but he will have to pull the scales off of me as he did Aslan in, um, Narnia, Eustace, when he became a dragon. And it has to make me become a real person who knows the love of Christ and how to live that love. Um, So this is an example how God's timing will work out his beauty in me, but it hurts and it must be done to become more and more like him, which is really beautiful and what I want.
0: And I really appreciate that. Thanks. Vulnerable sharing. Yeah.
3: Not easy. I think it can be really challenging to kind of see how a season of delight and disquiet can sort of come into our life at the same time. Um, the thing that comes to mind for me is um, when we as a family were in a season of transition um, to a new church, what would be First Pres, Um but from the church, we'd attended all of our married life and was the only church community that our children knew and we had enjoyed just some really sweet and fruitful years there. We loved the people dearly. Um we had precious years of serving. But ultimately, we felt, you know, the Lord calling that season to an end. And that was a time of of sorrow. That was a time of grief. Um, but we also, as we were feeling some of that, you know sadness about pulling up those roots, there was also a lot of joy and anticipation for where the Lord was leading us. Um and even as we were sort of walking through that with our kids, you know, we would they would sometimes tell us, um, you know, we feel sad about, you know, missing our friends or missing our community, but we're also excited about our Sunday school class and, you know, at our at our new church and it was really a sweet time where we could tell them that it doesn't have to be one or the other, that we can hold both the sadness and the joy in our hands at the same time. And um, so that's probably the season that sticks out in my mind where I felt both of those um, very much present
0: um, in that season. I think it's great that you model that to your children, that ability to embrace both the delight and they're just quiet. So for our kids to see that, I know, is so important. There was a time in one of my children's life when we decided that he was going to do pre-K again. And we sat down to tell him that news. And John had it all figured out. He would brought out this little box of blocks. And he was building a castle. And he was talking to my son about the fact that a castle needs a great foundation. Look at this great foundation. We could make our castle so high if we have this great foundation. And my son's following along. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, this is fun, great, wonderful. Well, pre-K is like a castle You need a really great foundation To make pre-K And then kindergarten and then first grade Wonderful, so we want a great Foundation in pre-K And my son's like, "Uh uh-huh, like where are you Going with this? So, we Think it would be wonderful if you do Pre-K again, because it Will give you this wonderful foundation And everything will be so wonderful In school, and it's like The light bulb starts to turn on on my son's Brain, his eyes get wide, and he says, but I already did pre-K. I know, but you're going to do it again. and It's going to be wonderful. Won't that be so exciting? So John's casting this vision, and he's encouraging him, and he's telling him all these wonderful things. But that little boy, all he could hear was, my friends are going to kindergarten, and I'm doing pre-K, and he turns around and looks at me, those little tears coming down his eyes. I said, come here, baby. Sit in my lap. It's okay if you cry. And John's like, no, no, no. No crying. No crying. This is great. We're building the foundation. We're building the castle. It's going to be wonderful. And really in life, you do need both. You need someone to champion what's coming in life, but you need somebody to hold you and comfort you in the sadness of the thing. And there are times in life when people don't appropriately read our season and maybe they champion us when we should cry or they encourage us to cry when they should champion us. And sometimes when people don't read our seasons correctly, they end up hurting us. Do y'all have a time in your life that you remember that somebody just didn't understand a season that you were in, and therefore they interacted with you in a way that was hurtful?
3: You know, there have been two seasons in my life um, where I have dealt with significant anxiety. And, you know, that was a really hard season for me. And for those who have not walked that path, it can just be a very difficult thing to understand. And I can remember well-meaning people who really loved me, um, trying to offer encouragement that they, I think felt would sort of push me out of my anxiety as if it was something I could have the power to just easily turn off. And, you know, I can remember times of just being a little hurt by those, um, assumptions. Um, both those seasons were really difficult, but the Lord was also doing a really, a deep work in my heart in the process. And, and that, that, that thorn in my flesh um, was really um, His grace, too. There were just some deep roots planted in those really dark days that would later bear some um, some really sweet fruit um, of just trust and rest and God's sovereignty. You know, and I think in general, we just can lose patience with those who aren't in the same season as us or who are maybe walking in a season that we don't quite understand. And I think as believers that that is something that we are always um, learning to do well.
2: I think for me in particular, grief has been that way. Um, it, it, it's it's as though, just when I think of the, the losses in my life, I, my brother passed when I was in 10th grade. And grief is a weird thing in that it's when other people have resumed their normal life, yours is far, still far from normal, yet the expectation is that, okay, the funeral is over, now get on with it. And so I can just remember... People saying trite things, uh, don't worry, be happy, Uh, you know, which is really, you know. And so and that's just not recognizing the season. And I think what that has done for me is to make me be so much more aware of losses, whether they're big or small. It's a loss to that person. And that's where they are and allowing them to be there, allowing them to cry if they need to cry, Uh, being a good distraction if they need that. Um, you know, but allowing people to be where they are, because that was what I desperately needed in that time.
0: You knew that from having experienced that and having been, had to walk through that season yourself so that then you could understand that when somebody else is walking through that season. And part of what happens, I think if I'm not willing to embrace these hard seasons of life, I sure
2: won't embrace them or be sensitive to them and other people either. Yeah. So, can you guys describe a time when someone came alongside you in a particular season in a way that was a sweet blessing?
1: Um, yeah, I can think of a, uh, several people that have done that for me, and I love every single one of them. Um, but there was a time, and uh, it wasn't that long ago, where I just knew that I was not being understood, and it really bothered me, and. I have a very dear friend in St. Louis. He's also a Christian counselor, and I just had to call him and, and kind of pour out what I was feeling. And he did ask me, when other was there another time in your life that you felt understood, which I could quickly um, tell him. And he gave me this wisdom that I have clung to, and that is, he said, would you be able to take the circumstances when you are not being understood and make them these are times when Christ is making you more like Him. And I said, what do you mean? He said, there's no one who is more misunderstood than Jesus Christ. And I know you pray that you want to be more Christ-like. And these times are when Christ is trying to show you how you can be more like Him, how you can let people misunderstand you because He does understand you. And you can cling to that and let go of trying to make sure somebody's understanding you, it has been such a wonderful comfort to me. And I've carried that with me. And I really am grateful and thankful to him for that.
2: So our Ecclesiastes writer, the preacher, as we've been calling him, Solomon, tells us in 311 that God makes everything beautiful in it's time. And I think this can be really difficult for us to get our minds around because of how we have been conditioned to think about beauty. In his book, I'm reading um, Irwin Answers, The Beautiful Community, and I highly recommend it. But in his book, he talks about beauty as an attribute of God and that we can only know beauty in relation to the one who is inherently beautiful. So uh, in essence, he's saying that every other beauty is a derived beauty and, and God is who is really beautiful. Mm. And that that beauty even includes nail scarred hands. Mm. That's considered mm. beauty. My. And mm. so in that context, when we look at life under the sun, how can we find beauty in, in in the circumstances of disquiet in particular and in the circumstances of delight?
3: Well, you know, I think kind of like we've already been speaking to today, you know, there are seasons we would wish away and others that we think maybe should be granted to us now. And I think the beauty is just coming to that um, rest in, in knowing that God has appointed a time and a purpose for all that he's doing in our lives and under the sun. Um, One of my favorite quotes um, is John Piper. He said one time, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And I think what Piper's getting at is similar to where um, Solomon has arrived at in this text. And it's that we have a very limited understanding, our perspective, you know, of all that God has done and all God is doing but there is a trust that we can have in his rightness of what he is sovereignly bringing our way, whatever season we find ourselves in,
0: yeah, I love that. And I love that it's it's personal as well. You know, just that God, that inherent beauty comes into that time and season with us, that he's present with us, like Margie, when you were talking about all of those things that you were working through, through marriage and through the different ways that that impacted you and Sean and Jean. You just kept referring to the fact that you were speaking to the Lord about that. And then he was teaching you and he was talking to you and he was with you. He was present in that. And there's undoubtedly the fact that God doesn't hold himself at a distance in our seasons. Just the fact that Jesus entered into literal time and space and went through his own seasons of life, seasons of healing, seasons of death of loved ones seasons of friendship seasons of betrayal all of those sorts of things and so it helps me just to recognize that it's right what he's doing it will be beautiful and he's with me in it it's personal and we're not mm-hmm. alone you know we're not alone in that so with that note of encouragement we hope you will join us again next week take us outside to pull weeds or sit us at your counter mm-hmm. as you bake a cake we will be talking about Ecclesiastes 3, 14 through 5, 7, and we'd love for you to listen in.
3: Sometimes a light surprises The Christian while she sings It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A
2: season of pure shining To cheer it
1: after the rain